Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, but also preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. This past week, Jason got to preach about the thief on the cross, and that takes us to Luke chapter 23. There were actually three crosses. There were two that were guilty, and there was one who was innocent, and that's our Jesus. And Jesus was crucified with the other two. What's interesting in Luke's account of this is we have some conversations conversations of dying men on the cross. Uh, One thief talks to the other thief and back and forth, and then one of them talks to Jesus, and then Jesus responds. And this is a passage that a lot of folks like to run to as they think about salvation and things about that, and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But let's let's begin by looking at part of the text here, and then there's some things we want to notice about the conversation of this penitent thief, something he says to Jesus. Yeah, it's a sobering passage. It's a passage that will be on the minds of many, many people, obviously, during this season, and it presents us a great opportunity to talk with people. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that I, I even got thinking about this particular sermon was I had two members of our church family mentioned to me in passing independently, two different ones uh, that just recently in talking with co-workers, the thief on the cross came up. And that's a common question. You know, well, what about him? And I'm, I'm hearing you say that I need to do X and Y and Z in order order to be reconciled to God, but but what about this man? And that is a question that we need to be able to answer, but it is also just an incredible image of God's grace. And so let me do a little bit of reading, especially if you haven't had the opportunity to watch or, or listen to the sermon. In Luke 23, verse 32, we're told that two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they, speaking of these Roman soldiers, cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen ones. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Now, particularly in light of our sermon, verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Incredibly, Jesus says in verse 43, 
truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Roger, I think you and I, we could probably spend the next three months preaching from those two paragraphs. It's just amazing <laughs> stuff. And, you know, it's, it's a sad scene. We're, we're Through the words of Luke, we're witnessing three men who are dying. And this is not a happy page, but some good things come out of it that we need to look at. I've often wondered, and, and you know, this is maybe too much in the world of speculation, but I've often wondered if Pilate intended for Barabbas to be on that middle cross, yeah. as if he was the ringleader and these is his cohorts in crime, and he was such a bad person that the crowd was certainly say, we don't want the leader of the gang to go free. Yeah. But they were so much hating Jesus that they put Jesus on that cross between these other two criminals. And, and you know, the mocking, the abuse, you know, I've seen several, several people take their last breath. It's always, it's always very, you know, telling to me as you, as you go through this. Not like the movies. There's no music playing. There's no suddenness. A person just stops breathing. But when we see this with Jesus, there's no one there to hold his hand. There's no one that we see that's actually praying for him. He just dies alone, even though there's a crowd staring at him. Now, our verse we want to focus on is in verse 42, because this is where the penitent thief says to Jesus, and there are nine words, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Now, in those simple nine words, there's at least four or five principles that we can learn. Yeah. And he says this believing. He says this hopefully. He he recognizes right away Jesus' name. Now, he could have heard that from the crowd. Could have been that he, he just knows that because of, because of all the things that led up to that event. But he says, Jesus, remember me. Now, when one person is dying and he's talking to another dying person, uh, that very idea necessitates that they believe in life after death. Yeah. Because, you know, if this is it, <clears throat> if we're like the evolutionist tells us that this life is just all material and when we die, there is no God, there is no heaven, there's no hell, this is it, <clears throat> then, then they're just minutes away from dying and that's going to be it. But he believed in life beyond death. And he believed that even though we were dying, he doesn't ask Jesus, get me off this cross. He doesn't ask Jesus, you know, you've done miracles, pull a miracle here and just get us out of here. No, he knows he's going to die. He knows Jesus is going to die. But he realizes that's not the end of the story. There's something behind that. Yeah, you speculated earlier about Barabbas, and I, I think it's a very valid speculation. I mean, we know he was described as a notorious criminal. Uh, the, the other thing that I think is, is just fascinating to speculate, and of course this is not the stuff of sermons, but uh, had this thief ever run across Jesus? Had he ever heard Jesus preach? Was this his, his first exposure to Jesus? There's so much that we don't know, but we do know that Jesus, this was not the first time that Jesus talked about life after death. It's just pages before this that he gives us his famous parable in Luke 16 of a rich man who died and a poor man named Lazarus who died. And both of their experiences on the other side of death 
uh, are, are, are plainly described. And so clearly, not only does this dying thief believe there is something beyond his last breath, but Jesus affirms that belief. There is life beyond our final physical breaths. Absolutely. And then the second thing he says, he says, Jesus, remember me. So he understood that once you die, I'm not going to be just like a, a pillowcase. I'm not going to be just this <laughs> ghost floating around, and I don't know anything. I don't remember anything. Uh, you know, people have often wondered, okay, when we're on the other side of life, will we know people? This guy thought so. Yeah. He 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 understood that I'm going to die, Jesus is going to die, and I'm asking Jesus to remember me. And so when they get to the other side, Jesus would not say, oh, have we ever met? I don't know who you are. <laughs> he would remember him. And so, again, <clears throat> that, that, that just gives us volumes of thoughts about the other side of life and that we don't take all of our physical possessions. We don't take any of our physical possessions, but we take our character. We take who we are. We take our souls with us. And so death, as we keep saying here, is not the final say. It's not the end. And he would remember Jesus about those things. Yeah, that rich man that I mentioned earlier from Luke 16, he remembered his father. He remembered his father's house. He remembered that he had five brothers. He did not want those five brothers to experience what he was experiencing on the other side. And and he was told, and he would remember that in life, he had a good life. Yeah. And he was told that. So, so once again, uh, when you and I pass away, will I, will I know I've been married? Yes. I'll know who I was married to. I'll know if I had kids. I'll know if I had grandkids. I'll know those things because that goes with us. Jesus, remember me, he says. Uh, the next thing he says, and, and just simple nine words here, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. He understood that Jesus had a kingdom. And and this kingdom was God's kingdom. Uh, all throughout the preaching of Jesus, that was foremost. The kingdom is near, he would preach at the very beginning of his gospel ministry, that the kingdom is nigh or the kingdom is near. Thy kingdom come. Seek first the kingdom. The concept of God and his kingdom was something that was prophesied back through Isaiah and back through Daniel, and it's something that Jesus understood. Now, from this thief perspective, Okay, you've got this kingdom, you've got these plans, but now you're dying. So I guess your plans will go up in smoke. No, <laughs> remember me when you come in your kingdom. He understood that death wasn't going to do anything to change this plan. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating to think. Uh, we, we, we know he's described as a criminal, as a thief. Uh, we don't know how long he had been devoted to that sort of thing. We know it was deserving whatever his transgressions were judged to be worthy of death. But this was the sort of person that would have tried to avoid the attention of a king just as long as he possibly could, right? Uh, a king was the last one, at least at some point in his life, that he would ever want to be beside or, or, or within eyesight of. And yet here is an ordinary-looking man. He's got a, a sign above his cross there in the middle, the king of the Jews, and and this thief is latching on to that as as the anchor of his hope. not Jesus is no longer someone to be avoided. 
Jesus is my only hope at this point. And what a contrast, because for a king, there's law and order to get his nation to run. For this thief, he was lawless. Yeah. He was a breaker of the law. But he wanted Jesus to remember him. Don't remember me as a criminal. Don't remember me, you know, and put me in prison. But he thought Jesus had some goodness about him, and he saw that. Then, then the next thing we notice in this simple nine words, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus was coming, he understood. And so once again, as Jesus was leaving because he was dying, he understood he was coming again. And again, this this is just echoing through uh, space like Matthew 25 when Jesus gives us three pictures of the coming of Jesus. Uh, there's the idea of the, the ten virgins, five were wise, five were foolish, and the groom has gone away. But at midnight, there's a shout, he comes then that, that flows right into the parable of the talents, where the master gave some money to his uh, his servants, went away. Then he came back and made an accounting. Jesus is coming, he's, he's, we're seeing here. Now, for this thief, I'm not sure how much he understood about the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom. But the kingdom was established. It's a spiritual kingdom. Yeah. And Mark chapter 9 and other places, Matthew 16 would teach us, that there are people who are alive on earth who would see that kingdom before they died. Yeah, yeah, the the kingdom established. We've talked recently about that, even in a, a sermon about a week and a half ago. Uh, it, it makes me think of Jesus' statement in John chapter 5, 28 and 29. And every time I read this, I, I just feel more and more blown away by what Jesus is saying, where where he tells those uh, within earshot, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, speaking of his own voice, and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Uh, apart from the intervention of Jesus, Jesus, this man has done evil. He's dying because of evil. He, he has no hope because of the evil that he has committed. And yet, in these last moments of his life, how powerful to recognize Jesus as a king, a gracious king who is going to come into his kingdom and I I have hope in him. Even though I don't deserve it, I have hope because of this man on this middle cross. And how easily Jesus could have said, imagine you being in my kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what, what value can you add to my kingdom? You're a thief. You're selfish. You're a lawbreaker. There's nothing decent about you. But that's not going to be the words of Jesus. Now, the fifth principle we see here in these nine simple words from Luke chapter 23 and verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. That is that God's plans, God is greater than death itself. And so, again, that trickles through all these principles. But there's life after death. He could be remembered after death. Jesus had a kingdom. Jesus was coming. And all of this was based upon the concept that God is greater than death. 
I think that takes us all the way back to the first pages of our Bible in the book of Genesis, when after Adam and Eve had committed a sin, God places a series of curses. And upon the serpent, he said that he would crush the head of that serpent, but it would bruise the heel of the son of man or the, the, the one born of the woman. And that's, that's a prophecy of what we're talking about right here, that Satan's greatest power is death. Until Jesus, you could not overcome death. But now because of Jesus, there's a resurrection. There's going to be a hope. And yes, it, it hurt Jesus. It bruised his heel. He died, but he would overcome death. He would crush Satan by this. And because of his resurrection, we all will be resurrected. So this, this lesson reminds us that this thief, uh, as bad as he might have been, there were some things about him he understood about Jesus, and he saw that in Jesus. Yeah, last book of the Bible, Jesus is pictured as having the keys of death and the grave, right? And uh, there was plenty that this man didn't know. Uh, plenty of things perhaps that we understand more broadly about the big picture of the Bible than this man did, but he had faith in a great Savior, and it is that man on the middle cross that makes all of the difference there in Luke 23 and all the way to where we are in 2022 today. So those are just some thoughts we pulled out from that verse. But now let's go back to that sermon because there are some things that just rises to the top, and we've just got to go over them once again. What can we learn from the thief on the cross? One of the first things that comes up that people ask, why was this guy not baptized? Yeah, yeah. And I would certainly encourage you to go back, watch, listen carefully to particularly the way that that sermon developed and ended. Uh, we hope that it's an easy and convenient resource for you to directly share with those who have those sorts of questions. But I would just highlight one verse, re-highlight one verse for your consideration from Hebrews chapter 9, and I think it is the perfect place to go where the writer of Hebrews is talking all about Jesus' death, his sacrifice as the Lamb of God, his present service as our high priest. Uh, His blood is so much greater than the blood of bulls and, and goats. It has the power, Hebrews 9 verse 14, to purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. I'd really encourage you to zero in on Hebrews 9 verses 15 and 16, where the writer says, therefore he, speaking of Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. We talked a little bit about that in our sermon. Jesus foreshadowed that even in his institution of the Lord's Supper, uh, just pages before where we were in Luke chapter 23. The coming of a, a new arrangement, a new way of having a relationship with God new terms, new expectations, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now listen to verse 16 carefully. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be 
established, for a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Now, let's just hit the pause button there for a moment and recognize uh, you can have a will. Roger, you have a will. We we know people around us who have wills, and you might first draw that will up when you're 25 years old. You have a couple of kids. Maybe you amended at 35. Maybe it gets a little more refined at 45. You can literally, as long as you're willing to go through the hassle and maybe the expense, you can amend that will as long as you are alive. Let's say you're 99 years old and you first started thinking of a will at the age of 25. Well, you still have the right to amend and change the terms of that will as long as you are alive. But even today, 2,000 years after this passage was written, we understand when I take my last breath, when I die, that will goes into effect. And that is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in relation to Jesus, right? A new covenant goes into effect when? Not when Jesus was talking with this man on the cross. That new will goes into effect at the time of his death, which means If you and I are wanting to know what we must do in order to be right with God, if we want to accurately share with others what we they must do in order to be right with God, we go back and we marvel at Jesus's patience, his grace to this man on the thief on the cross, but we need to understand that new covenant had not gone into effect when Jesus was having this conversation. If we want to know what that new covenant calls for of us, a great place to go would be Acts 2, when Peter and the apostles are teaching the very people who were there what they must do in order to be forgiven of their sins. What's interesting is when you look at the life of Jesus while he was on earth, there's multiple people he forgave. Uh, That comes up several times in his gospel lessons. But after the cross, after his death, there's not one exception where somebody was considered saved who did not believe, repent, and be baptized. It's 100%. All through the book of Acts, all through the the writings of the Apostle Paul, we see that when a person was saved, they had to be baptized because they are on this side of the cross. That's what the law says. 1 Peter 3.21 says, baptism now saves you. And so why was the thief not baptized? Because that wasn't the law. Uh, When you do your taxes, you have to go by this year's tax laws. You can't go by (laughs) 1970 tax laws. Can't do that because the law of today is what you have to go by. And so Jesus was still alive. He was dying, but he was still alive. So the law was not into effect. Now, from that, somebody asked this question, can I be saved like that thief? What would you say? Yeah, I would say I cannot be saved like that thief any more than I can be saved like David in the Old Testament or Abraham or or any of these other 
characters, these historical people that we read about, right? Just like, okay, if I'm out here driving on Charlestown Road, there's no doubt in my mind that there are some in our community who can re or can remember when the speed limit maybe was a a different speed than it is now. And, you know, maybe at one point they remember a, a certain section where, well, it used to be 50 miles per hour, but now we've got a school here. And so it's dropped to 35 and a police officer pulls them over and wants to know why they're driving 50. And they say, well, I, I, I remember when it was 50 miles per hour through this section. Well, you may remember that, but the law today, the posted requirement or limit is 35 miles per hour. I am subject to the law under which I live. I am subject to the terms of the new covenant made available to all by the sacrifice and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in... in uh, opposite of that, let me let me say this: There are some ways we can be saved, like that thief. If we come to Jesus believing with all of our heart, that's what he did. Yeah, begging, begging for mercy, as he did, having the faith. Now Jesus had the opportunity to meet this guy before the cross, and Jesus said, "Hey, I want you to do A, B, and C." This man, with his heart, he would have done A, B, and C. And so if I have that right spirit about me, and Jesus says, "Be baptized," and the Lord did say, "Be baptized." But I say, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm not like that thief at all. No. That thief wanted to do what Jesus wanted him to do. Now, he was on the other side of the law. He's on the other side of the cross. But we come to this today, and what we look at is Jesus wants me to be baptized, but I cross my arm and say, I don't want to. Well, I'm not even close to that thief. I'm not even near that thief. Because what's shown is I have a stubborn attitude that doesn't want to do what God wants me to do. Now, if I really want to do what God wants me to do, if God said learn a foreign language, guess what? We're buying the books. We're learning that language. If God said you got to climb a mountain, guess what we're doing? We're doing some rock climbing this weekend. We're, we're going to practice. If God said you got to come up with a million dollars, we're working two or three extra jobs because that's what God says. If God says, I want you to follow me, we're going to follow him. If God says, I want you to keep my commandments, we're going to keep his commandments. If God says, I want you to repent of your sins, we're turning from our sins. If God says, I want you to be immersed for the remission of your sins, we are going to do that. That's the spirit of the thief. And when we have that spirit, yes, we're going to do what God wants us to do. Roger, I appreciate you revisiting that with me. It is a question that so many have. And our aim, of course, is always to present the truth to the people in the room. We were so thankful to have so many this past Lord's Day, but thanks to the dedicated efforts of a number of really talented people, we are, are so thankful that things like that get captured and are easily able to be shared. And so perhaps you know someone who very much has this sort of question. We would encourage you to leverage those resources freely available at charlestownroad.org. Now, we have the opportunity, of course, to continue learning more about God and His will for our lives, even this evening, 7 o'clock p.m. Yes, we are in the auditorium talking about honoring God. 
And so we're going to continue that concept of how a disciple honors God by looking at some more layers of that lesson and talking about the way we do that by our praise to God. In our Building Blocks track of studies on Wednesdays, we're simply exploring what is love, something that a whole lot of people have a whole lot of confusion about. We are exploring what it means to love God, and Lord willing, tonight we're going to talk about really words of Jesus, very straightforward. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, very similar to what we've been talking about today. Roger, this coming Sunday, we're going to pivot from that scene at the cross of Jesus to the most significant thing that happens next. And that's the resurrection, that stone rolled away and Jesus came out. And we're going to talk about the tomb and the garden Uh, We often think about the garden being the Garden of Gethsemane, but the tomb was placed in an area of a garden. And we're going to kind of explore some ideas about that, how Jesus focuses upon life, and so should we as well. We are passionate about knowing God's will for our lives, sharing that will for everyone's life, and we appreciate you listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. If you have found it helpful, we would love it if you would share this resource with others who are searching for God's will for their lives. We would love to see you this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week. We would love to have you join us at 9.30 a.m., We hope that you have a great rest of the day. Come and grow with us.